book of Acts. We are going chapter by chapter through the book of Acts. Uh, Sunday evening, we go th- we're going through the Old Testament. We're in Proverbs. Tonight, also very important, we're having a communion service. And that is the time of sharing that we have on Sunday nights during our communion uh, service, uh, as well as um, sort of a teaching and a prayer time, but a very rich time. You know, as we went through the Psalms, we uh, really read a lot about in the Psalms about the importance of sharing in the congregation, sharing in the assembly what the Lord has done in your life. We have a time for that on Sunday evenings, but right now we're in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Okay, Acts chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man, and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of the household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that you would open up your word uh, to us uh, this morning. Lord, without your word, we would be, Father, we'd be in a guessing game. Why are we here? What's our purpose? Is there a God? If there is a God, who is He? And Lord, that's precisely the, the sort of the seeking that Cornelius went through. Lord, and there's so much to learn from him and, and your word. I just pray in the name of Jesus that you'd open up all our eyes, our ears, and our hearts this morning to your word. Yes, it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So the book of Acts, a historical record of what happened to the disciples after Jesus was taken up into heaven. So what did happen? What happened was that Jesus sent The Holy Spirit is among the first things that happened in the book of Acts. He sent his Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit, just as he had promised he would. And so in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descended upon the believers in Jesus. And there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind that accompanied this sign. The men and women who had the Holy Spirit had fallen upon them, they began to speak in languages that were not their own. And it happened to be the time of the Jewish feast of the Pentecost. And there was Jews from all over the world who spoke... uh, the very languages that these people were now speaking. 
The Holy Spirit descended upon them. They started speaking in foreign languages. And these people arriving from all over the world were like, who are these people? They're not from where we are. Why are they speaking our language? Others observe saying, no, they're not speaking other languages. They're drunk. They're drunk. They're babbling drunks. And at that point in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, the Apostle Peter stood up and said, these people are not drunk. It's nine in the morning. And he explained uh, to the crowd what was going on, that the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus Christ, had come, that he had died on a cross, but that God had raised him up and had poured out the Holy Spirit on people who believed in Messiah Jesus. And among the first things that we've seen happen in the book of Acts, in addition to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, is what the Holy Spirit did in these people's lives. He transformed them. Prior to this time, prior to Acts chapter 2, the disciples of Jesus had been one unimpressive group of men. Bickering and fighting with each other about who would be the greatest, promising never to leave Jesus. And then as soon as the time of testing came, they all forsook him at the, after the crucifixion, filled with fear and in hiding. They received the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, though the fears laid aside the which one is the greatest argument that they had never stopped arguing about, pushed aside. They boldly declare the good news that Jesus Christ died and rose again to give anyone life uh, who calls upon him as Lord and Savior. And, and so in the book of Acts, what happened after Jesus was taken up to heaven? The Holy Spirit came. He transformed the disciples. And then all of a sudden the church is growing and growing and growing. And, um, and thousands of people, are, literally thousands, are putting their faith uh, in Christ. And it's just been wonderful going through the book of Acts. I just love it. Acts chapter 2 verse 46 says, They sold their possessions. Uh, uh, a description of the early church. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. They continued daily with one accord. No more bickering, in other words. They continued with one accord in the temple, uh, breaking bread from house to house, eating their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Just a great picture there of the early church after Jesus had been taken up into heaven. Well, this was just infectious. And the Holy Spirit and the love of God always is. The church grew and grew. So pretty soon the religious establishment is getting uh, threatened uh, by what's going on. And, uh, you know, death is always threatened by life. And that's what happened uh, as the church began to uh, uh, grow. And, and they actually began throwing disciples in prison. They started putting them to death. Uh, the man who worked probably hardest to stop what was going on, Saul, later to become Paul. Says he wreaked havoc on the church. That word havoc in the Greek, lumino, which means to, to uh, it's a word they use for wild animals, tearing into dead flesh. It was, it was like tearing into the, the church. Well, next, uh, chapter 9, Jesus appears to Saul. So, Saul, what are you doing? What are you doing to me? And Saul was, said, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus, 
And he said, uh-oh, <laughs> you know, you know uh, and, 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 you know, what do you want me to do? And, and, and Jesus told him what to do. And Saul does a 180, and, and he begins to do everything he can now. He does a 180. He, he begins to do everything he can now to convince people to come into the church. And by the way, this is important for a new believer to do, to share their, uh, their new faith in Christ. But Paul, uh, rather Saul, appears to have... Uh, Taking it one step further, he went from dragging people out of the church to dragging people in. And as we talked about last week, you may want to get the CD. Um, if, if you look at the other references to when he was talking about that time period, uh, he didn't appear to be getting anywhere with the people. So God sent him back home, home to Tarsus, where Saul actually spent many years getting to know the Lord. We talked about that. All of us come into God's kingdom with many, many misconceptions about God. His number one priority for us when we first come into the kingdom is to get to know Him. We were just publishing a new believers booklet that we, we wrote up here at the church. And that's the first thing we tell people to do. Get to know God. Don't want to dump, come up with a dump truck on a new believer in Christ and, and dump all kinds of religious requirements. No, Jesus died. He fulfilled all those religious requirements. It's about knowing God. And so that's what Paul does. And, and so he goes back home. He gets to know the Lord. The Lord is preparing him. But then in verse 32 of uh, chapter 8, or rather chapter 9, who comes back on the scene? Peter. And he finds a man in this a town called Lydda. Actually, uh, chapter uh, 32, uh, rather, verse 32 of chapter 8 says, Now it came to, uh, rather, chapter 9, verse 32 says, Now it came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the country that he also came down to the saints who dwell in Lydda. He found a paralyzed man there. Prayed for his healing. The man is healed. He goes down to Joppa in the rest uh, in verse uh, th uh, 39. He goes to Joppa. Uh, there's a, a woman who had died there, uh, uh, Tabitha, and uh, she had died. He prayed for her. She rose to life. And then we come to uh, uh, verse, uh, let's just go to verse 42. Uh, of chapter 9, it says, And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he, Peter, stayed many days in Joppa with Simon, a tanner. Simon the tanner. Now, tanners, don't hear much about them anymore, do we? Tanners were really looked down upon by Jewish people. Why? Because their houses stunk. Stunk, stank. What's the right word? My, if my wife was here, she'd, she'd, she'd tell me, but she's in nursery this morning. She, they stunk their houses. And, and what do they do? They took animals, they gutted them, and they tanned their skin. They prepared the skin for clothing and other things. But their places stunk because they had all the guts sort of uh, lying around. The Jews really were not into dead things. Uh, dead things were unclean to the Jew. So tanners were really looked down upon. They made tanners live, the Jews did, uh, away from town, outside of it. I believe 30 minutes away by law. And it had to be downwind. 
Okay, that's, you know, tanners. So as I was preparing this, I was thinking, you know, I know a little something about guts and skinning and bad smell. I grew up catching a lot of bluefish in the Cape, and uh, I was born down there. My family spent summers on the Cape, and my brothers and I would go out and catch bluefish. Well, after I got married, I'd go out, you know, blue fishing, and, and it's... We never. My dad taught us you never care about the weather. You just go out. Doesn't matter if it's raining and small craft warning. You just go out. That's just what he was like. And we used to go out. We come. So I'd go out when I first got married. I'd come back with a big old bluefish, and I'd come up to Stephanie. I'd say, "Look, baby, I had look at my big bluefish," and she's like, "Oh, that's great. Congratulations. Here's a knife." Take the fish, go as far as you can from the house, scale it, gut it, and clean it. Now, this was a shock to me. My mom never did that. I'd be like, wait, I'm freezing cold. You know, most of the time our clothes are all wet. I've been out on the high seas, and I, I fought this fish. You know, and, 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 and you know, I, I, I'm tired. At the end of the day, it was always dark. You know, you come back in the dusk, and, and, and she look at me and she'd say here's a knife go to the farthest part of our yard and clean it gut it scale it and so I'm take the knife you know and have you have you guys scaled a fish anyone here scaled a fish the scales are everywhere you know there's gnats at that time on the cape and I'm all dirty and it's smelly the guts blood and, and you know I'd be sitting there Gut, skin, smell. I was sort of like she was making me be a tanner. Listen, guys. You need to find a godly wife. Okay? My wife is a godly woman. She does the same thing to, to me that God did to Peter here. You know, Peter, he had gone up to heal the guy from paralysis, you know, raise the woman from the dead. You know, he's like, man, I should be living a mansion on the sea. God goes, no, you live on the sea. You go with that guy, that tanner, where the blood and the guts of the smell are. Oh, come on, Lord. You know, you know what Jews think about tanners. You go and live with a tanner. Guys. You want a godly wife. We're going through Proverbs. It says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Find one who keeps you humble. Praise the Lord. My wife does that. So I know something about uh, skin and guts. <laughs> Verse 1 says, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. A centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. So what was a centurion? That's important here. A centurion was a, a Roman commander. He was a commander of a hundred soldiers. Uh, and so it says here again, verse 2, he says, He was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously uh, to the people and prayed to God always. Now about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa. Send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now, try to stay with me here. 
Cornelius is going to meet is going to meet Peter. We're going to read about that. When he meets Peter, Cornelius is going to share with Peter what the angel told him. Now, in chapter 11, the next chapter, Peter's going to go back to Jerusalem and he's going to share with the people in Jerusalem about uh, Cornelius' vision, his conversation with the uh, angel. And that's what I want to read right now. Skip over to chapter 11, verse 13. Now, here, Peter is telling some people back in Jerusalem about Cornelius' dream and the conversation he had with Cornelius about Cornelius' dream. In verse 13, it says, And he, Cornelius, told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose name is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. So what do we learn from this verse? Really important. We learn that prior to the time that Cornelius and his household met Peter, Cornelius and his household were not saved. They were not saved. Now, why is that important? We'll go right back to chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Chapter 10, verses 1 and 2 says this. It says, it introduces Cornelius. Verse 2 says that Cornelius was a devout man. He was one who feared God. It says he and all his household... He gave alms, meaning money, generously to the people. And said he prayed to God. How often? Always. That's what we read about this man. And so, what do we learn from that? We learn that being devout, being religious, giving money to the poor, praying, even praying a lot, doesn't save you. It never has and it never will. You know, we get this crazy idea that just people who have sort of gone off the deep end on drugs, sex, and rock and roll, you know, they got tattoos and and earrings all over their face. They're the ones that need to get saved. You know, religious and devout people, people who show up at church every week, well, not them. Actually, the overwhelming majority of lost people in the world are very religious. They go to church. They were baptized as infants. They light candles. They say prayers. uh, But they're lost. That was me. I was baptized as an infant. Went to church every Sunday. Did the candle lighting thing. Said my prayers. But I was so lost. Why? Because I had no relationship with Jesus. Knew some things about Jesus, but I didn't know him. Not personally. Cornelius, Cornelius actually, he knew some things about God, but he didn't know God personally. And listen, the one guy, the one guy who knew better than anyone else that Cornelius did not really know God was who? Anyone know? Cornelius. It was Cornelius. Why do I say that? What did the angel say to Cornelius in verse 4? It says, the angel said to him, 
your prayers have come up to God. Your prayers have come up to God. And then, um, actually, uh, if you go to verses 30, where Cornelius is telling Peter about the, the angel, um, he, Cornelius says to Peter, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer, your prayer has been heard. What prayer had been heard? What had Cornelius been been asking. He had been praying to God to show him, look, how how can I be saved? In spite of his devotion to God, his good behavior, his uh, giving money to the poor, he knew, Cornelius knew, he was missing something. And that is what he was praying about. God, show me that something. I know I am missing it. Cornelius was a Roman centurion. That was a big deal in the Roman world. They were highly esteemed. They were highly paid. A centurion was paid 16 times more than the, than the Roman soldier was. Or the, the sort of the line Roman, Roman soldier. He knew. Cornelius knew about honor. He knew about privilege. He knew about pleasure. Rome at this time was just spiraling downward morally, to the point where marriage almost didn't even exist anymore uh, at, at that time for all intents and purposes. We also read in verse 2 that he knew about, he had a good family life. He had a good family life. Listen, Cornelius even knew a lot, not a little, a lot about God. He was what was called a God-fearing Gentile. God-fearing Gentiles would hang out at the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue. They wouldn't convert formally to Judaism, but they would actually participate in the service hearing the Word of God. They read the Old Testament um, at every service as they continue to uh, unto, until this day. And so he knew things about God, but something was missing, and he prayed to God. And it says in verse 2, he prayed always, God, I know that you're there. I, I believe in you. I thank you for everything you've done in my life, but God, there is something else. There's an emptiness in my life, Lord. Show me what it is. And it says in verse 30 and 31 of chapter 10, it says, Cornelius, your prayer has been answered. So let's continue in verses 7 and 8. It says, when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. Uh, So he had explained all these things to them. I'm glad he found a devout soldier. Can you imagine just like pulling aside one of your soldiers? "Hey, Hey, I saw an angel. Let me tell you what he told me. Oh, really? You know, he, it says he found a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. And verse 8 says, so when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. You know, we get really often out on the streets this question. 
or you may, I'm sure you've heard this, sharing your faith with a family member, a friend. What about the person who's never heard about Jesus? Okay, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying about Jesus for my life. But what about somewhere, some person in the jungle who, who's, who's never met Jesus? What, what about them? The response to that, I recommend one response is right here in Acts chapter 10. And this is not an isolated example of someone who is seeking God. They don't know him yet. They're seeking him. God is faithful to send someone to them or send them to someone. That's why we go out. Because God is sending us to people who are seeking. Cornelius was seeking. Peter made so clear in his first sermon, there's only one name in heaven and earth by which men can be saved. It's Jesus Christ. And God is faithful to send. And Cornelius uh, was seeking here. He's seeking. And so let's pick up in verse 9. Now, it's, this is kind of interesting here. Uh, it says, The next day as they went on in, in their journey and drew near to the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray. So they went to Joppa to look for Peter. So Cornelius sends these guys to Joppa to look for Peter because the angel had told Cornelius that there's this guy named Peter in Joppa. Go find him. He's going to tell us you know, uh, uh, you know, how to be saved. So you notice here in verse 9, God... God, he does this all the time. He works both sides of a situation. He's preparing Cornelius for Peter. Here he is going, uh, he's going to prepare Peter for Cornelius. God is working both sides. You ever meet up with someone when there's this amazing connection with the other person, you know, sort of in the Lord? And, you know, wow, this is incredible. How did this happen? Well, God did it. He's preparing their heart and he's preparing your heart. So let's see how he does it here. It says, then, verse 10, then Peter became very hungry and he wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth. Wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And a voice came to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. Now, the first time I read this, I, what kind of weirdness is this? I mean, a great sheet bound at the four corners, wild beasts, creeping things in it. What's that about? Peter says, the voice came to Peter, Peter, rise and eat, and kill and eat, it says. And Peter said, not so, Lord, uh, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. So Peter had been raised a Jew. The Jewish people had been chosen by God to be a nation of people by and through who, which God would show himself to the world. He wanted them to be a separate people, not only in what they believed and how they behaved, but also in what they ate and in what they wore. So in addition to laws about morality, like the Ten Commandments, he, he gave them laws about eating, kosher laws, 
what they couldn't, uh, could and couldn't eat. Some foods were clean, others were unclean. Uh, he gave them also laws about what to wear. And Peter had grown up observing all these laws. Here in this vision in verse 11, God is saying, well, look, no longer anything unclean. I've declared everything clean. He says, um, uh, uh, again, it says, well, actually, so Peter protests. He says, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. The voice spoke to him again a second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Which, by the way, has a greater, a much greater application than that. When you have asked Jesus in your life and taken on the righteousness of Christ, you may have some kind of awful sin that keeps on coming back and eating away at you, saying, no way, I can't be a Christian. I can't be God. I can't be going to heaven. God says the same thing to you. What God has cleansed. You must not call common. You are now a child of God now. But with the same voice to Peter here about the kosher, the, the, these things that he's looking at. Uh, many uh, of these creeping things and wild beasts, they, Jews were not allowed to eat them. Verse 16, this was done three times. And the object was taken up into heaven again. Verse 17 says, now while Peter wondered, the King James Version says, doubted while well, Peter doubted you know, I hope that comforts you don't look at these apostles like super saints they have the same issues that you and I do ever think you heard something from the Lord or read something in the Bible and you doubted I said what the apostle Peter does here it says now while Peter uh, wondered within himself that uh, about what this vision uh, he had seen meant behold the men who had uh, been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. Well, Peter thought about the vision. The spirit said to him, behold, three men are seeking you. So here are the people coming from, uh, from Cornelius. Verse 20, arise, therefore, go down, go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, who one who fears God and who has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him and the following day they entered Caesarea now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends as Peter was coming in Cornelius met him and he fell down at his feet and worshipped him now this is it's an important quick point here. No matter how much God has used someone, you're not supposed to do this. In verse 26 it says, But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. So no matter how much God has used a pastor or a teacher or someone else, you don't exalt them to a place they don't deserve. Peter says, Stand up, I myself am also a man. I'm no different than you. 
So the Roman Catholics have a tradition of kissing the Pope's feet. That's wrong. Protestants are, are, are worse. Are worse, really. They exalt pastor to celebrity status. You have all these celebrities in the Protestant world walking all around. That is wrong. They're just men. Peter says, I am also a man, just like you. And so he says in verse 27, as, as I talked with him, he went in... Rather, and as he talked with him, as Peter talked with Cornelius... He went in and found many who had come together. And then he said to them, you know, so he begins teaching them. He, he began, here's the beginning of this, sort of the answered prayer. Cornelius had, 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 had asked, Lord, there's something else. What is it? Well, here's the beginning of P, uh, Peter's message. He says, in verse 28, he says, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. So this is how he begins. You all know, because you know about us Jews, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with you or to go into your house, is what he's saying. Now, don't miss this. Nowhere in the Bible... In the Old Testament, in the law of the Bible, does it say anything like that? <laughs> it doesn't say in the Old Testament that Jews cannot keep company with a non-Jew or go into their house or talk with them. And yet, the Jews had convinced themselves of this very thing. And you know what the result was? Institutionalized racism. And you know, this has always happened with the people of God. This, is, this, is, this always happens, this temptation. It happens to this very day. Uh, people, men and women, they're called by God into a covenant relationship. They respond, they obey, God prospers them. But pretty soon they get this crazy idea that they are better than everyone else. And there is this gross pride, a racism and an ugliness that crops up in the lives of God's people. And listen to this. You don't turn there with me, but you may want to write this verse down. Deuteronomy chapter 9. The Lord specifically told the Jews in Deuteronomy. He specifically told them that it was not because of them or their righteousness, that he was going to use them. He says in Deuteronomy uh, 9, chap chapter 9, verse 4, Do not think in your heart. This is God speaking to the Israelis, the children of Israel. Do not think in your heart. After the Lord your God has uh, cast your enemies out before you and say, well, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me uh, to possess this land. Now, the Lord uh, knew that they were going to have to hear this more than once, so he repeated it in verse 6, Therefore, understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this land, speaking of the land in Israel, to possess because of your righteousness. He made it so clear. Uh, to them, but yet we always have this thing that happens to us, and, and it ha the same thing happens uh, to Christians. Uh, you invite Jesus in your life, you, uh, you, you obey the Lord, and as God had promised the, promises, there's always a measure of prosperity with obedience. And, and then you look around, and and you start looking down on everybody else. 
Listen, Christian. If God has blessed you, if He's revealed Himself to you, if you know something about the Word of God, if you know a lot about the Word of God, don't think it is because of something that you have done. That is an offense to what Jesus did for you on the cross. Anything that you have ever received from the Lord or will ever receive, it is because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. It's because of God's grace. What is grace? Getting what you do not deserve. Listen, you are no better than anyone else. And I mean anyone, regardless of how base or repulsive or evil uh, uh, they may be to the world, they are not to be like that to you. And that is what God had revealed to Peter. Gentiles, non-Jews, were utterly repulsive to the Jews. They, Jews called them dogs. Uh, There's a common Jewish prayer which Jews prayed every morning. I thank God I'm not a Gentile. You know, that's how they started their day. Uh, and, and thanking God for that. And, and Peter, like anyone else, he's coming to the kingdom of God with all kinds of baggage like that. Yes, there are people who become Christians who hate blacks, who hate whites, who hate Asian people. But God's not going to let them stay that way. He loves them too much for that. To let them stay that way. And so Peter uh, is really, this is, you know, the Lord is just taking him and he is transforming him here. And he says uh, here, he continues on in Acts chapter 10. He says uh, uh, in the middle of... Verse 28 says, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with, uh, with or go to another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. And it's still something that, as Christians, we are commanded to be like today. And by the way, you know, you hear so much about toleration sometimes christians christians you don't tolerate people you know i never heard jesus talk about toleration i did hear him talk about love I, i don't like the whole concept of tolerating people i like loving people and loving people means exactly what peter does here it's not only sharing with them about faith it's going right into their house and being with them. You see, many of us have this idea of what it means to love. We, 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 we sort of do what the Marines do. We just go in and some area that we're not really comfortable with. We're not really comfortable with the people. Tell them about the gospel. Then we helicopters come in and we just go right back out. But that's not love. That is not love. Love is going right into their house. 
I like what it said about Simon the Tanner, Peter and Simon the Tanner, at the very end of uh, chapter 9, it says he was there many days with this really repulsive guy. That's what love is. It's this wonderful life that the Lord um, has called us to. So he goes in there, and verse 29, Peter says, Therefore I came without objection, as soon as I was sent for, I asked then, For what reason have you sent me? Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting unto this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been answered, and your arms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. This is really, really, really exciting. God is opening up the good news uh, to, and actually what it is, this is the non-Jewish, it's the Gentile Pentecost of what's going to happen in the rest of the chapter. And, and, and the Lord is transforming His own people, the Jews. And the Bible says that the Gentiles, uh, including most of us in this room, were grafted uh, into, uh, into what the, the, the tree, the stump, where the, where the Jewish people had started. We've been grafted in. We're the children of God. Now, from the beginning of the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, God always makes it clear to the Jews that the Gentiles can become the people of God themselves. But they never really liked that. <laughs> but that's all, a lot of that um, is going to change. But um, we're out of time. We will start there in verse 34 uh, next week. I encourage everybody to come out to the communion service tonight. Again, a time of sharing. It's always a powerful time. It'll be a, a, a reading from the Word, which we'll use as a springboard for prayer. But... Uh, well, uh, if you guys, can you come up and close us out now and while I, uh, I'll close us in prayer while the worship team comes up. Father, I just thank you so much for this picture of grace. It's so exciting, Lord, how you want to come in to our lives and occupy, Lord, and truly make us temples of the Holy Spirit. And you have promised to do that and transform us. And Lord, just as the Apostle Peter came in with so much baggage and you just drew it right out of him, Lord, would you do that with us? Father, we ask in the name of Jesus, would you do that? We want to be the people that Jesus called us to be and Jesus says that we're the light of the world. Lord, sometimes we don't feel like we're shining, Lord. We need your grace to do that. We thank you. Father, for your Son, we thank you for the life that he's given us. We thank you for our life in Christ. Father, we love you. We need you. We ask for your grace this week as we go about doing the very things that you've called us to do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's anybody, by the way...